This is Cam Slater, and you're listening to Dirty Politics. Welcome to Dirty Politics. You're with Cam Slater, and today I'm talking to political Sven Gali and avid hunter Simon Lusk. Welcome, Simon. Thanks, Cam. Uh, so I thought we'd talk about uh, Winston Peters. And the reason why I thought we'd talk about Winston Peters is because he's going to hold the balance of power. A lot of people have forgotten his history and his past. So let's get cracking. You can ask me questions, I'll ask you questions, and let's see if we can reveal the real Winston. Okay, so let's start off by talking about how Winston got kicked out of national. Right, so... After 1990, when Jim Bolger won a landslide election, Winston Peters was made the Minister of Maori Affairs. But he sort of operated um, alone and in a silo from Jim Bolger and other members of the caucus and the cabinet. And he constantly disagreed with the party leadership on heaps and heaps of things, but he took it public. So whilst he was popular with the public for sticking it to Jim Bolger, his caucus colleagues distrusted him and they didn't like his publicity-seeking behaviour, so it became intolerable almost because he was a minister as well. Then what happened in around uh, 1991, then saw September 1991, he launched this grand new policy and didn't tell anybody. It was called Ka'awatea. And he launched that in the Beehive uh, main room there uh, to great fanfare. The problem was this Jim Bolger didn't know anything about it. So he sacked him from caucus, from uh, Cabinet, and that was in October 1991. Now, what's ironic about that, Simon, is that most of those recommendations that he proposed to solve the issues that uh, were currently facing Maori have subsequently been adopted under Whanau Ora. Winston is the guy that is really behind Whanau Ora. Well, he started it with Ka'awatea, hmm. and... It didn't sit well with the National Party. Uh, it went down really well with Maori. But at that, by that stage, Winston had used up any goodwill that caucus and cabinet had with him. So he basically ended up being a backbencher and sat there fulminating, criticising the party, kind of being like Muldoon was you know, at the end of um, 1984, sitting there just being curmudgeonly. And so the hostility in caucus grew and grew and grew. Um, then what happened in um, 1992 is Winston was starting to talk about doing his own thing and National decided to force the issue. He was going to seek renomination for Tauranga and the party said, well, you can only do the, that if you sign this order, this, um, this piece of paper that says you're not going to stand for anybody else, you're not going to work on anything else. And Winston threw a wobbly. Shortly before that, though, before he threw that wobbly, Caucus had decided they'd had enough of him. And they met on a, on a stormy night uh, in Parliament in Murray McCulley's office. Don McKinnon was there. Uh, Doug Kidd was there. Murray McCulley, obviously. My father was there. Robin Gray, the Speaker. Lockwood Smith and a few others. And it was literally the smoke-filled rooms. And they decided to make a resolution to throw him out of Caucus. And I was the one who actually wrote it down. And at some point, Murray McCulley called up Bill Birch. He came down from his office. He read the uh, 
read the resolution, put it in his pocket, and he picked up this glass of scotch. He never actually drank from it, but he launched into this tirade of all of the things that was bad about Winston, but that he could live with. You know, his smoking, his drinking, various other things brought up, but he finished off and said, the one thing that I can't tolerate about Winston Peters is that he tells fucking lies. And then he got up, he turned to the room, he said, I better go tell the boss, and walked off and told Jim Bolger what the resolution was. And that was it. Winston was out of caucus, he was persona non grata, and then he decided to sue the National Party as well over that rule and that piece of paper. And Winston won that in the High Court, and then he quit, had a by-election in 1993, a few months before the general election. He won the by-election. Then he quickly formed New Zealand First, and then in 1993 he won again and brought Tau Henere in with him. Where did Tau win? Uh, Tau won in that same election in 1993 because uh, MMP wasn't in place at that point. So which seat did he win? Uh, Northern Maori. Okay. And that is the start of the more recent history of Winston Peters. We could go way back to Hunua and all of that, but it's largely irrelevant. And and who were the guys that uh, proposed and seconded the motion to expel him from caucus? Well, that's really interesting. The two people who were put up to that were Bill English and Nick Smith. And they're both there now. And Winston holds grudges... Sometimes he acts on them, sometimes he doesn't. But he's in a prime position to be able to act on a grudge should he wish to. Okay, so we we move on to the 1996 election, and if my memory serves me correctly, everyone was expecting Winston to do a deal with Helen Clark, and Helen Clark on election night in 1996 was absolutely euphoric, and she was talking about being the first woman prime minister. Totally smug. She thought she had Winston as a lock. And as usual, on the next day, Winston went fishing. He had a large number of uh, MPs with him. Uh, the Type 5 was uh, coined at that stage. Winston had clean, had basically clean-sweeped the Maori seats. And that was actually the start of some, of some of his biggest problems. But, yes, Helen Clark thought she had won. She thought she was going to be New Zealand's first woman prime minister. And then the negotiations started on Monday, and of course we know it went for six weeks, and there was toing and froing, there was negotiations, but Labour were implacable. There was no way they were going to give Winston a, a plum job, and the word is is that Michael Cullen was the one that cactus that deal, to that would have put Winston in with Labour, because of his arrogance, his rudeness, and his bluntness, and flat out refusing to have Winston Peters as the treasurer. And which meant that him as finance minister would have been subservient to Winston Peters, and he said, no way. The National Party, desperate to stay in power after Jim Bolger made the mistake of bringing an MMP, agreed to it. So my memory is correct. No one expected Bolger to be able to do a deal with um, with Winston, and Winston held quite a grudge against Bolger and Birch. Well... Winston didn't really hold a grudge against Bold. They both got on really well. Uh, Winston was the smoker and a, and a whiskey drinker. Bolger was a whiskey drinker and a talker. And they solved a lot of coalition issues over, over a glass of whiskey in the PM's office. And often things were able to be nipped in the bud uh, without having any, anything major happen. But eventually that relationship became testy 
But it all ended when Jenny Shipley rolled Jim Bolger and that relationship disappeared overnight. And so no longer was there the ability to short-circuit any issues with the coalition. Jenny Shipley didn't like Winston. And then it came to a head over the sale of Wellington Airport and eventually she sacked him. Now, on that night, I'm told at 9 o'clock at night, the government thought it was going to have to have an election because they had lost their partners. Winston walked out, said he was going into opposition. It was Toe Henare, 20 minutes later, who phoned Jenny Shipley and said, I've got seven. I've got seven of Winston's MPs, and Peter McArdle's the last one that we need, and he's with Bolger um, in, in um, Washington now. Get on the phone and call up McArdle and lock him in, and that split Winston's caucus and, you know, destroyed it, basically. They walked away. The one thing Winston didn't plan on was the venality of the Maori MPs and their wish to retain the baubles of power for themselves. So who, who that was Tuku Morgan, Toe Henry, who else? Peter McArdle, um, a number of others. I, I can't remember the exact details. Uh, basically all someone nothings. Um, yep. most, most of them have disappeared subsequently and in the clean out in 1999 when the public had finally had enough of nine years of national they all lost their seats, Labour got back all of the, all of the Maori seats and, um, and Winston Peters was in opposition uh, with a much reduced party and, um, and National of course uh, thought that they were only going to be out for three years and of course in 2002 uh, sunk to their lowest uh, score ever in an election under Bill English's leadership. Winston has a policy of not running in the Maori seats. Is, is your read on that because of the way that the Maori MPs treated him? Yeah, I'm reliably told that Winston will never run in the Maori seats again because of uh, an utter distrust of Maori politics. And since that day, he has worked um, assiduously to make sure that he... Uh, season end to those and he hasn't really been in had enough power or been in the right position to push for the end of the Maori seats but that time is coming. Okay so let's leap forward to 2005 and the coalition deal that he did with Helen Clark. Um, he could have in theory done a deal with Thorn Brash as well but he chose to go with Clark. Um, what was your read on his relationship with the Greens? Uh, well, I've been reliably told that Winston did not want to have the Greens have anything, no job, not even a chairmanship of a select committee. His distaste for the Greens and loathing for the Greens uh, is even more than his loathing for the people who turned their back on him in, in, um, you know, in 1998. And so he said to Labour, I'll do a deal with you, but the Greens get nothing. And I'm also told that it took about 20 minutes for Labor to change their mind and decide to do the deal. So it wasn't a predetermined position that they were going to shaft the Greens. They made their mind up when Winston put it to them and told them they'd rather go with National if they wanted the Greens along. Pretty much. That's exactly how it went down. Winston, could, Winston One thing that Winston's really, really good at is that he can count. And he knew that Labor plus New Zealand first and support of the Greens was enough to keep National out. And uh, he knew that the Greens had backed themselves into a corner where Helen Clark could shaft them. And so he put her in a position to choose and he only gave her about half an hour to, to make that decision. Otherwise, he was walking across the, the way to talk to Don Brash. And he told them that. 
yep. Labor, Labor decided then that they were going to shaft the Greens, and they've done so ever since. Okay, yep, that makes sense. So at the end of the uh, Clark administration, things went badly wrong for Winston, and one of the things that happened was that John Key said he wouldn't do a deal with New Zealand First after the election. How much impact did that have on New Zealand First at the 2008 election? Well, I think a lot of damage had been done um, by the Owen Glen affair. And Winston had stuck by Helen Clark uh, when she was suffering all of her problems, um, especially with the demise of Mike Munro, and she, she lost her way on a lot of policy issues. Winston stuck there thick and thin. Uh, then he got in trouble with the Owen Glenn thing and the, and the famous donation and the denial of the donation. And, of course, we had the fallout uh, from 2005 with the pledge card and the $158,000 that New Zealand first took from, uh, from parliamentary services spending. And that, caught, that weakened his position. But John Key playing real politic and saying, there's no way I'm going to go with Winston, I believe cut his legs out from under him and meant that those soft centre-type voters who swap around between Labour, National and New Zealand First saw that they wanted to get rid of Helen Clark. They couldn't vote for Winston Peters because they wouldn't, that wouldn't get rid of Helen Clark. So then they voted for National, and that's when John Key uh, cleaned out Helen Clark in 2008. So I think him saying that definitely had an impact. Absolutely, I think it had an impact on that. And then what happened in 2011 when Winston came back in? Did Key have such an unequivocal position of no deal with Winston? Well, Winston actually was quite philosophical, and he went away after 2008, and he said to some of his key people, look, this, taught us, this has taught us a lesson. We need to be more humble, we need to rethink, and we'll be back. So he said about taking three years of planning, and I think it reinvigorated him. But John Keane knew from his polling, and you and I both trust David Farrer's polling, right? Courier is the best pollster in New Zealand, bar none. He was getting, John Key was getting numbers from David Farrer that were saying, don't worry, you don't need Winston. We can get there with the Maori Party, we can get there with ACT, we can get there with United Future. And so he wasn't as so demanding to say no deal with Winston, but he knew in the back of his mind that he didn't actually have to deal with him. So I didn't think it was as big a factor. Winston was still rebuilding at that stage. Okay, so we, we move on to 2014, and, and everyone thought that Winston was going to hold the balance of power until Kim.com and Nikki Hager published um, some of our emails and generated a heap of work for us. Um, and hopefully they'll do it again so we get some more work. But the dirty politics saga really hurt Winston. Um, what was your read on on why that happened, Cam? Well, I was kind of stuck in the middle of all of this, and so, you know, I had inquiries coming out. Of, you know, all the time I was being accused of being all sorts of evilness. Um, it was hard to keep track on what the situation was within the political, you know, the campaign. But what it did do is it sucked all, and I mean all, all of the oxygen out of the election entirely. So where Winston gains in the election, traditionally because he gets he gets a lot of TV time, he gets a lot of radio time, he gets a lot of press, 
at all was swamped. He couldn't get a, a word in edgeways. And so he got a bump because New Zealand First always gets a bump and Labour and National always take a hit. But it wasn't enough to put him into a position where the status quo was able to be challenged. Now, I know Winston reasonably well, and you know Winston reasonably well. What he wants is stable government. And the best way to get stable government under MMP is, of course, a two-party uh, a two-party situation rather than a multi-party situation. So John Key didn't have to say anything. He had his own battles underway, fighting the media party, fighting Kim.com, fighting Nikki Hager, uh, and, you know, busily trying to, to stay there. What he didn't realise until well into the campaign and David Farrah's numbers started coming in was that, Nikki Hager's accusations and spurious allegations and fantasies and, and conspiracy theories didn't add up to anything and actually boosted the government. And we saw Nationals' vote increase in the 2014 election. Did that surprise you much, Cam? It surprised me that someone who's been described by the Labour Party and left-wing commentators radio people, TV people as being insignificant and irrelevant and why does anybody listen to him, was able to suck the oxygen out of an election campaign for six weeks straight based on a few emails and some allegations from Nikki Hager. It did surprise me because we weren't responding to them. You weren't. You didn't even pick up the phone. I think we went hunting one day and we got a few phone calls and, you know, we didn't, we didn't even answer it. We're too busy hunting. Yeah. yeah and I think it taught me a lot... Um, and you'd already sort of told me this, but it taught me a lot that just because the media are calling, just because they're standing outside your house in the rain, just because uh, they want an answer, you don't have to talk to them. And if you don't talk to them, they've got no story. And so it was a, it was a waiting game. It was a patient waiting game. Yeah, the politicians played their game, but ultimately the, the design of and I call it a Labour campaign, I, I, I actually believe it was a Labour campaign, was to silence someone who was holding them to account, that had embarrassed several of their leaders, had uh, constantly challenged them to the point where uh, it was becoming untenable, and they had someone in the form of uh, Kim.com and a few other people on the on, you know out on the outside like Matt McCartan and a few others that they could run this campaign because when Labor launched their vote positive uh, campaign it didn't make sense vote positive what well, where's the negative well it turns out I was supposed to be the negative and that just didn't work for them but you're right it sucked Winston's oxygen away from him. So we move on to this election. It looks like Winston is pretty much winning it hands down. He's well up in the polls from where he usually is. He just seems to get endless free press from people attacking him. And he's come out with perhaps the smartest policy since Don Brasher's Ariwa speech um, over the weekend with his referendum on Maori seats. Um, where does that leave him going into 2017? I think we need to just go back a little bit. Winston should really be on his knees thanking Nicky Hager for going early with his book to try to embarrass John Key. I'm certain that that book was being planned for the election campaign and would have been launched probably in the next week or two to do the same thing. That's Nicky Hager's modus operandi. He thought that John Key was going to still be there as Prime Minister, but John Key confused everybody and resigned late last year and then 
Vicky Hager had to rush that book out while John Key was still in Parliament, and he hoped to upset his valedictory speech by, with all these allegations. So I f sincerely believe that Nicky Hager was trying to hijack the election again, but John Key resigning meant that he had to go early, which means we haven't got the distraction, which brings us to where we are now, where we've got two really boring leaders of the main parties, and you know from our own Insight Politics polling from Curia that Andrew Little has really bad approval ratings. Uh, they're constant, they've never been positive as long as we've been polling, which is nearly two years. Uh, even Bill English can beat him in the popularity stakes. We've got preferred prime minister stakes where his deputy's scoring higher than, than Andrew Little. Uh, Winston Peters is higher than both of them. And so we've got a situation where, where Steve Joyce, the campaign manager for National, is really hoping Bill English says nothing and does nothing, uh, doesn't do any dopey stuff and stays silent. But that's given Winston a massive platform to fill the void. But I think we've got an interesting situation now where the Greens realise that they've got nothing to lose by attacking Labour as well. And so they're trying to get that dropping Labour vote for themselves. That's why they attacked Winston Peters, because Winston's picking up Labour votes. And so you've got this war now on with Labour and with the Greens. Uh, Nationals kind of stayed out of it, although yesterday he gave a bit of a flick towards the National Party, saying they haven't done enough with the power that they've had and the votes. And you can't disagree with them on that. You just can't. Uh, but this fight with the Greens is all about trying to get those soft Labour votes that are disappearing because Andrew Little's so boring and so dull and so angry to split between the Greens and New Zealand First. So I think we're going to see the Greens grow a little bit this election. I think we're going to see New Zealand First grow a lot this election because there are some angry people out there. And you know, you've mentioned the Maori seats policy. Today, that's all everybody was talking about when I was at lunch with a, a bunch of business people that are normally not political um, that I had lunch with. All they were talking about was that was the, the one thing that's locked them in from voting for Bill English and National to swapping to Winston Peters. That one thing. One policy, a referendum. It's, it's cunning, too. You have to admit, Simon, isn't it? It's a cunning policy because all he's promising is a referendum. It's up to the people. That's it. It is an incredibly cunning policy. Um, and, yeah, the only thing that surprised me is he didn't want to have it at the same time as the 2020 election so he would benefit from the voter turnout for the referendum. Um, I, that's how I would have played it. But, obviously, he yeah, it's a different perspective. I can see why, though. You have the promised the referendum a year after the, the election because that's a dead year when nothing really happens because they've just won and they're consolidating and those sorts of things. Having a referendum then polarises people. That'll be a hard-fought battle. Um, I believe the New Zealand public would reject Maori seats. They've been there long enough. Um, that means that going into the 2020 election, he can go into that election safely knowing there are no Maori seats anymore because they would have passed the law to abolish them. And that opens up a whole new range of things, like what happens to that Maori vote in Northland? What happens to that Maori vote in Rotorua? What happens to that Maori vote in East Cape, for example? You turn national seats into semi-marginal seats. Yeah, all marginal seats in Maori would gain a whole lot of power from it. Exactly. 
you know. Um, but there's a good argument to keep them, but there's a better argument to get rid of them because there's actually more Maori MPs who aren't uh, um, Maori electorate MPs. You know, National's got stacks of them. Labor's got a few as well. You know, uh, Winston Peters is Maori himself. So you, it, he can't be called a racist on wanting to remove the Maori seats when he is a Maori. You just can't. It's cunning. Rat cunning. Low rat cunning, which is what Winston's known for. Okay, so, I mean, you've, you've expressed a, a view that it's going to be a campaign of dullards apart from Winston. Do you see any, any other minor parties getting any traction or are they just not competent enough or too dull? Well, you know, I'm hoping to talk to Gareth Morgan uh, in this podcast series before the election. I want to ask him a few questions. In principle, he has some some quite good policies, and you and I are both in favour of his cat-killing policy, but he has some really daft ones as well. But the biggest problem that Top has is that their leader doesn't want to be in Parliament. And so why should you vote for a, a party when someone doesn't want to be in Parliament? It's incongruous. The other thing that Gareth Morgan's got, got as a problem is that he thinks he's always right and tells everyone they're always wrong, and Kiwi voters don't like that. This is late. That, that translates directly to what Labor's problems are right now. Right? Labor has had this problem since they lost in 2008. The, the same arrogance that National had when they lost in 1999. Oh, it'll only be three years, then the natural party of government will come back in and the voters were wrong, and John Key's evil, and they just only have to see, you know, they'll find out eventually what we know. But you treat voters like that, they, don't, they stop listening to you. And that's proof positive is the current low sub-30 ratings that Labor's getting. So that allows Winston to shine, and he's good when he's got publicity. Hey, so looking post-election... What do you think Winston's going to do? Well, I know one thing's for certain. Winston's going to go fishing. He's going to get on a boat and he's going to not talk to the media. He's going to laugh at them. They'll all be herding around the pier trying to video them and everything like that. And he's just going to laugh and he's going to go fishing and he's going to come back with whatever he's caught. And then on Monday he's going to sit down and he's going to, he will have worked out the numbers and he'll sit down in the, my belief and I'm sure it's your belief too, is that in knowing that Winston knows how to count, there's only one person he's going to be able to sit down with, and that's going to be Bill English. And Bill's running around telling the caucus that, you know, this is dangerous having New Zealand first. Uh, they're going to take their jobs. They're going to do this. They're going to do... The caucus shouldn't listen to Bill on that because the reality is with coalition politics is if you've got, uh, two large blocks, and New Zealand First and National will be two large blocks, then there has to be some give and take. Bill's not going to let his mates give up their jobs, so other people are going to get the shaft to, in order to make it happen. But Bill's also running a risk because if he tries to put that fear into them and the caucus finds out that he doesn't really want to do a deal with Winston Peters, then they'll just, they'll just cut Bill's throat and the caucus will take over and then you'll have a different leader, and you'll probably end up with Winston as Prime Minister. That's a scenario that could happen. Yeah, OK. So so what do you expect, <laughs> actual bottom lines from Winston when he goes into coalition negotiations? There's no such thing as a bottom line with Winston. He always says there's bottom lines, but he knows how negotiations work, and some things has to, have to disappear. 
But I'd say the Maori seat one will be a bottom line. He will want a referendum. He might dial it back and uh, not make it binding because it's going to require special legislation to do that because we don't have binding referenda in New Zealand. So that could be a giveaway. Um, some of his other policies are clear. They're just there to get votes, and he'll cast them aside and go, well, sorry, that's what happens in, in negotiations. And that goes for Labour as well as for National. But frankly, I can't see him working with Labour. The numbers just aren't there. I mean, you look at the numbers. We do this analysis every month with Insight. What are your thoughts on the numbers and where you think he's going to go? I think that he's going to want everyone to knock on his door and ask if he can have, if they can get laws passed by the National New Zealand First Government. If it's um, if he's in coalition with Labor and the Greens, he's going to have to go and ask the Greens if he can pass laws. And I just don't believe that that is a realistic scenario. Winston doesn't like the Greens much, and he could, if he's in in coalition with National, they have to come and ask him for stuff. If he's in coalition with the Greens and um, Labor. He has to go and beg for their support for some of his initiatives. So it's just a whole lot cleaner if he's in coalition with National. Yeah, the other thing is, and, and I'll check with you because actually you live in the provinces. My gut feel is that Winston is reading the mood of the provinces really, really well. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I don't know whether he's necessarily reading it well. I think he's just exploiting Labor's unbelievable incompetence and complete inability to speak to normal people. I mean, they, they live in a rarefied beltway air where they're interested in stuff that the average person doesn't care about and they just aren't getting any cut through and Winston's benefiting from that. Um, I also am not convinced with Winston's rhetoric about the regions are suffering. The regions are actually growing quite well. They may not be going growing quite as well as other parts, but they're certainly booming, and, and many of them have similar problems to Auckland with house prices because the population is growing and there just aren't enough houses being built. Mm. So, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not convinced that it's a, a strategy that will win a massive number of votes, but Winston's never been out to win a massive number of votes. Um, and while Labor stays weak, uh, I just don't know that there's many people in provincial New Zealand who are willing to switch from national direct to Labor. They're much more likely to go national to New Zealand first. Well, as you know, we don't like making predictions because too often pundits and commentators make horrendous mistakes and errors with their predictions. Uh, are you prepared to predict which way Winston will go? Oh, God, no. No, no, I think you're foolish to predict it. I don't even think Winston knows at the moment. I actually genuinely believe when he says, you, you don't, uh, you, you've got to see the cards before you play the game, is, uh, is absolutely right. He's been saying that consistently for at least four years to me, and I just tend to believe that he's he's positioning himself to wait until the election after the election to work out what's going to happen. But but it comes down to numbers, right? Oh, oh definitely. And I'm just not sure that there's a scenario where um, Labor and New Zealand First can govern without the Green support. And I just don't think that's particularly tenable for, for Winston. Um, I also think that National will be far more willing to bribe him with whatever he wants to stay in power. Um, they'll, they'll do what Bulger did. They'll give him a whole lot of stuff. I, I'm pretty sure they'll give him the referendums he wants. Um, I would not at all be surprised to see a railway to Northport, um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the government putting 
pressure on the ports of Auckland to shift quite a lot of its um, uh, freight to Northland. Um, and, you know, that, those kind of things will be big wins for Winston and big wins for Northland. Well, that, that's interesting, the port one, because that puts some pressure on Labour because they want the port gone from Auckland. But they haven't got a policy or anything to get rid of it. But if Winston comes up with the railhead to, to Whangarei for Northport, that solves a lot of the problems. They can then bypass the central city in Auckland, free that up, uh, develop more land down there for various different projects. And um, that forces Labour into a position where they've got to support that policy, whether they like it or not, whether it's Winston's policy and National and Winston uh, implement it. But, but, you know, for me, you know, we always talk about this ourselves when we're having chats. What, paths to victory is the most important thing. We saw this with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton on the paths to victory. What's Winston's path to victory, Simon? I think he's pretty much there already. If he stays at the same level in the polls and he will probably improve, he is going to be in a position where he chooses um, who is in, in government and he just needs to stick at what he's doing. And um, assuming that he has vetted his, his new candidates properly and there's no disasters there, this term, New Zealand First, have been incredibly disciplined um, and they've scarcely put a foot wrong the, the whole term. So you would expect them to run a competent campaign. I think they just need to be competent through the campaign um, and they'll do well. Well, you raise a, you raise a good point there too about um, mistakes or Muppet MPs. Um, I've heard from a, a very good New Zealand First source, uh, someone I talk to all the time, that said that Winston is looking for stability and he's looking for a coalition that gives enough numbers so even if you do have uh, a Muppet MP fall over or do something stupid, it doesn't bring the government down. And that, and I'm told that goes back to those days of, of the 90s when the Maori MP shafted him. And so when he's counting, he's not trying to count just to get plus one. He's trying to get plus four, plus five, so he's got some buffer there, which is sensible, I think. Oh, very pragmatic. So we're not going to make any predictions, are we? No, no, I think we predict that it's going to be a really interesting election. I think it's pretty safe to say that Winston has by far the most character and will be the most interesting through the campaign. Um, but beyond that, I don't think we should be making any predictions about post-election um, negotiations. Other than just looking at the raw maths. And we won't know that until election day, but uh, polls in New Zealand generally do give a good indicator about where that's travelling. Uh, there's not too many upsets. Even Jim Bowl just, you know, when he said, oh, bugger the pollsters, um, he obviously didn't have David Farrell whispering in his ear because I pretty much bet that Farrell would have picked that right. But by and large, our pollsters get things there or thereabouts with no major upsets, and I think we're going to see the same thing happen. And so we need to look at the numbers and do the math and take the emotion out of it. Yeah, definitely. And that's probably where the left are um, not quite getting it. The, the right direction poll is, is the, about the best in the Western world. And people are generally pretty happy and they would prefer the politicians just left them alone. Um, and that's not really a, a change election. No. Well, it gives us plenty to talk about in these podcasts anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on, Simon, and uh, we'll do another one next week and we'll we'll pick a topic and hopefully we'll entertain the, the listeners and we'll 
you know, I've, I'm pretty keen to get David Farrer on for one, at least one chat to talk about the numbers. Um, and there's a couple of other interesting people out there that are doing things around statistics that we may want to educate our readers and listeners about. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Thanks for that, Simon. No worries.